0: If you dreamed seeing a robot working right in front of your eyes, today we talk just about that. So uh, on the show today, we're going to have Kate and Brian. And right before I introduce them, I want to talk to, be, to you a, a little bit about me. I'm your host, Christian, and I've been doing software development and data science for the past seven years. And my recent gigs were mostly with creative agencies and fintech companies. And before we start, I want to say thank you to all of our loyal co- uh, subscribers. Uh, your support means a lot to us, to all of those uh, listening to us for the first time. Welcome. Thanks for listening. Just so you know, on this show, we talk about the different ways you can eliminate manual and repetitive tasks in your business by replacing it with automation, automated process or software. Why do we do that is to help you save on operational costs and ultimately help you reach your goal faster. About our guests, we have Brian, uh, who is the co-founder and director of Automation Solutions of of the Densus Automation Centers of Excellence. He has over 10 years of experience managing enterprise technology teams. Brian focuses on finding the intersection of business requirements and technological potentials to solve for front, mid, and back office problems. And about Kate, uh, she is an automation solution architect with Dentsu's Automation COE, where she delivers scaled automation solutions that give time and resources back to Dentsu's business so that teams can create even more value for clients. She also leads the Citizen Automation Programs, CAP, implementing bottom-up business or user automation to complement top-down COE saving, and the program has doubled in size in the first six months. I think this is a great achievement. She's awesome like that. So let's hit the music.
1: Welcome to the Business Automation Podcast, where it's all about putting the boring tasks on autopilot, so you can focus on what matters the most. And now your host, Christian Ahijo.
0: Hi, Kit. Hi, Brian.
1: Hey, Christian. How are
0: you? I'm doing fine. What about uh, you?
1: Doing very well. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us today
0: fantastic and you Kate
2: so great to be here great so every time
0: I introduce my guests I also uh, like to hear a little bit of their stories so I don't know if you maybe uh, Kate can give us a little bit of your background in about one minute
2: Definitely. So I've been at Dentsu for the past four and a half years, and I actually started out more on the media side of the business doing planning as well as consumer insights. Um, And during my time on the more media client-facing side of the business, I realized there were a ton of tedious, manual, repetitive tasks that I had to do uh, every day or every week um, that were keeping me from, you know, reaching my full potential and thinking bigger thoughts and doing more strategic work. So I actually started building different Excel macros and things like that to deliver time savings back to myself and my team and other parts of the business through my work with the M1 Insights tool. And that ultimately led me to join the Automation Center of Excellence that Brian and Max have founded, Um, to get even more powerful tools in order to deliver time savings back to the business. And now with our citizen automation program, giving end business users, just like I was, the tools to automate their own work and upskilling them as well.
0: Fantastic. I think uh, automation is definitely the next big revolution that will happen in a lot of businesses Taking back those times that is uh, being wasted because of manual and repetitive tasks is uh, the way to go. And uh, Brian, it's uh, it's so great to have you here with us today. So I wonder if you can similarly share with us uh, your background and what it is that you currently do?
1: Sure. So um, I'll give the very high level summary so we don't get into the details too much. But I started off my career working... Uh, in technology and operations for large banking clients uh, where I was managing a lot of antiquated uh, DB2 uh, data warehouses and helping to move that information to the cloud and modernize it. Uh, by virtue of going through and managing a lot of that legacy infrastructure, I started to understand the high-volume, monotonous, tedious tasks that come with antiquated infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came over to Dentsu, we didn't have it as much as large banks, as um, much without large technical debt, but we did have enough uh, high-volume, repetitive, tedious tasks that folks were doing that was inhibiting them from delivering uh, their maximum and optimal value to their clients, like Kate alluded to. Uh, so I started the Automation Center of Excellence uh, with our chief automation officer, Max Shepersov, uh, about three and a half years ago, I believe. Um, and since then, we've been focused on Uh, bringing enterprise automation solutions at scale uh, to our immediate market here in the U.S., uh, to our region in the Americas, uh, and now we're working on involving people in our connective across the globe to how the people across different markets and regions can benefit from uh, some of the similar toolings and solutions that we've brought forth. So we're really focused this year on enabling people to do more with less uh, as an output from you know 2020 and what COVID uh, did to a lot of the uh, enterprise delivery mechanisms that we had, so we're we'll really focused on bringing that the automation benefit that helps to elevate people's potential uh, to Dentsu as a whole.
0: And I'm glad that you mentioned in the COVID, uh, uh, you know, part of big thing that happened to us uh, since uh, last year. Uh, more and more people are in need of automation. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about the automation? journey at Denso.
1: sure so we we when we first started off this group um max and i had a vision for enabling people in the business to to focus on the things that really mattered mm-hmm. uh, to them uh, for their career trajectory but also for our clients when it comes to our value proposition so we started off with a lot of different proofs of concept um, as many folks do. Uh, but what our approach was a little bit different where the sponsorship that we had uh, allowed us to do root cause analysis on the use cases that came our way. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is, like most folks, we were originally pointed towards back office, you know, FP&A accounting type use cases. Um, and we were told to go figure out why the reconciliation of the accounts payable process is such a manual time consuming thing. We were lucky where we, we could be a bit proactive and, and analytical about it, and we said, "Hey, it's not that this process uh is so manual; it's that something is causing this process to be more manual than it should be." Hmm. So we traced the problem further upstream away from that group uh, where a lot of the the problems were were exacerbated uh, and we were able to trace that problem back to the mid office and find a very small process. Uh, that was contributing to that compounding effect downstream. Um, we put a strong of a concept around that problem. We delivered a lot of value back to the immediate team in the mid-office. Um, and as a result of that, we call it kind of a surgical incision, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to see the bleeding stop further downstream. Mm-hmm. So we're about making sure we're solving for problems as far upstream in process as we can uh, to mitigate any of the exponential rework that happens for their downstream in the back office functions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We've been using that approach for a while now. Um, and we've been able to, you know, increase our robotic footprint here at Densu and scale out to more enterprise level uh, complexities. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of that, I think that we've, we've saved about 350,000 hours per year over the past couple of years um, and odd. we've been featuring a number of case studies uh, with our partners like UiPath and Fortress IQ mm-hmm. around building. One of them that was interesting was building 60 robots in 30 days. Uh, that was our most recent uh, critical success when it came to to RPA specifically. But I do want to add in that our team isn't myopically focused on delivering automation solutions for the sake of delivering automation solutions. We're really focused on elevating our people's potential by integrating automation AI into everything that we do and hopefully into what uh, the people and partners who we work with do. For example, we have a wonderful partnership with a company called autonomy works, mm-hmm. uh, which employs people who are on the uh, autism spectrum. Uh, and we've worked to give those people the skills that they would need uh, to develop automation solutions as well. So the point of me sharing this is that we are really true believers and that when you have such a strong technology as the automation capabilities you see in the market right now, it's our responsibility as custodians of that technology to enable people to use it in ways that really benefit their lives. Um, and as a result, making the world a little bit of a better place. That's kind of the long-term yeah. uh, beacon that guides us. Uh, but I think it's what really gets us excited to get out of bed each day and come do this thing.
0: I do really like uh, the the way that you approached uh, the, the, the challenge, especially the fact that you guys have managed to save 350,000 hours. Now, I don't know if you can uh, tell us a little bit uh, about this. I know a lot of people, whenever they hear automation or robots and uh, those hours being saved, they are afraid that jobs will be lost. Can you tell us a little bit of what is the reality of that?
1: Sure. So that's where it gets pretty interesting because you'll see people say, Oh, that's X amount of heads. That's this number of jobs and we saved it and we can get rid of those people and we can, we can see that on the bottom line. But it's a bit more nuanced than that because the tasks that we're looking at solving for people aren't doing those all day every day. You don't have a hundred people clearing this type of an invoice every day at our business mm-hmm. um, because we're approaching it from that root cause analysis perspective, we're finding a process that might take a fraction of many people's time um, that can result in significantly impacting people further downstream. So when we say we've solved for 350,000 hours, it's not across, you know, one-to-one ratio of number of hours to person. It's a fraction of time scattered throughout the business. Um, and that means that we're not seeing, you know, immediate, uh Reduction in staff costs mm-hmm. being saved. But what we are seeing is that people are able to take the, you know, 100 hours uh, per quarter that they got back and focus on the things that they went to school to do, hmm. uh, things that, uh, their client thinks that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people will say, Oh, I didn't go to school or my client doesn't think that I'm copy pasting things from Excel into this media buying platform mm-hmm. people don't go home and tell their parents that's what they're doing for us <laughs> um instead they kind of just say this is an administrative part of my job that has to happen in order for the business to function 100 yeah. percent correct mm-hmm. but there is a whole other mess of stuff that these people could be doing during that time exactly so that's where we see the real value coming back to us where people can focus on the things that really matter um and that you know they enjoy doing as people
0: so it is safe to say that these robots, uh, these engines work hand-to-hand with, uh, with the, the humans, with the people?
1: 100%. So we see it as our human workforce and our robot workforce, our mm-hmm. digital workforce. Um, and there's this concept of cobotting or human in the loop or, or people working together uh, with machines. Okay. Uh, that's, that's how we see this.
0: And um, I don't know if Kate can jump in and uh, tell us about, um, I, I heard this phrase, a robot for every person, and looks like this is something that is being heard in the corridors at Densu. Uh Can you explain a little bit to our listeners what that means? I know uh, Brian has introduced it a little bit. Maybe you can take from there.
2: Definitely. So we're starting to introduce the concept of citizen automation since, you know, there's only so many use cases the COE can take on. but. As kind of awareness of automation has started to grow across our enterprise, people are are realizing: wait, there not only does there should there be a better way, but there has to be a better way because doing all of this data entry, this tedious manual, repetitive stuff is not what they want to spend their time doing. I don't think anybody does. Mm -hmm. So people would keep coming to us with use cases that would maybe benefit them or their teams or even a whole department greatly, but weren't necessarily fit for our scaled enterprise wide approach. And so we obviously can't take on those, those smaller ROI pieces, but by giving them the tools to create automations themselves with UiPath Studio X, they can start chipping away at those long tail opportunities. And eventually that can snowball and have a huge impact from the bottom up, as well as the work that the COE does from the top down.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a way to recognize those long tails opportunities?
2: We recognize them through our process mining, which my colleague Benjamin Nagulsi does. So we can look for them and find them. But we also were getting a ton of these opportunities just brought to us organically because people are smart consumers you know you can order seamless on your phone and order an uber they know that there there must be a better way to do things and whether it's through a vba macro or process optimization citizen automation is really about giving them the stronger tools to create the impact themselves
0: Hmm, fantastic the way i hear this it's there is a lot of collaboration happening between between you guys the expert and also the consumers of those robots. What is the, maybe the approach to make people feel more comfortable? The reason why I say that is because uh, people have the tendency to resist to change. Do you have any advice for anybody, any any of the businesses out there trying to implement the same process or replicate the success that you guys had in bringing in the people on board?
2: Definitely. And it goes back to kind of what Brian was saying around, we're not you know, automating one full-time employee's entire job, what we're automating both as a COE and what citizens are creating through their own automations are these smaller tasks that kind of clutter up their days. So not only are they excited to get that work off their plate, they've also been really excited to learn a new skill, have the company make an investment in them, uh, to train them and to give them this, this new software capability. So they're learning and upskilling as well so that they can not only create automations for what they were doing and take that off their plate, but also do even more and create automations for other teams and, and have a larger impact across the business.
1: Just to jump in really quickly, um, everything Kate said is, is spot on and it's, it's supposed to help deliver a lot of success uh, for this program. Uh, but also communication is a big is a big part of it, and how how you have sponsorship from people in the business outside of technology. Um, so people's managers, people's managers, managers, the CEO, the CFO, the COO, people who inspire people. We've been really lucky to have those inspirational figures behind the programs uh, that we're running. Um, That started off with those proofs of concepts I referred to. And then when we go to those same people and saying, hey, you know, all the stuff that you have uh, sitting in our pipeline for Kate and Ben and Brian and Max and everyone on our team to go do, what if we told you that we can crowdsource development and give some new skills, like Kate said, to the everyday employee? But you need to really go communicate it to them because it's one thing for Brian and Kate to go to everyday employees and say, hey, you can automate everything if you, if you just listen to us. But it's it means it's a completely different message when it comes from a chief operating officer uh, going out and saying, we're making an investment in you as our people. We want you to stay here. We know that the work can be better. Um, and we want you to, to enable us to do that for yourselves and for the people who are going to uh, be joining us in the future. So there's a big cultural shift that has to happen as well, and we've been really lucky with the people that we've been working with to help uh, to help with that culture change
0: and I'm hearing this it's it is uh, an amazing statement that you just made we need a collaboration of the people in charge the leadership uh, pretty much everybody that inspires other people and that question there's this question that comes in my mind uh, if I put myself in their shoes how do you actually engage with these robots because robot is a fantastic word it is ma it is an amazing technology but how do you engage with it
1: one of the ways that we've um been communicating it uh with our leadership team isn't by calling it a robot because i think to your point robot has a negative connotation sometimes like the robots are going to come take our jobs You have pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator coming in and and Armageddon is everywhere. It's the robotic apocalypse. We've been referring to them as virtual assistants where it's saying, hey, if you could have a virtual assistant on your desktop doing the tasks that you don't want to do uh, so that you can focus on the things that you do enjoy doing and create value, uh, would that be something that you'd be interested in? And nine times out of 10, people say yes. I think the only thing that really can get in the way, and Kate corrects me if I'm wrong on this or if you have any thoughts, thing is that finding time, coordinating time to do the trainings, um, that's been the only major obstacle because it is an investment people have to make in themselves uh, because they have day jobs. And luckily, I think a lot of the technology that's coming out into the marketplace now for low-code, no-code solutions doesn't require an exhaustive amount of time, but there is a time commitment against it. And that's where the leadership sponsorship uh, can really play a big role, where they can clear a path for a person to spend a week and get those skills that they need so that they can save months of future work.
0: Great. So um, this question has been in my mind since I heard uh, how a fantastic job uh, automation does. Um, I mean, since the beginning of the conversation, I wonder, cause every time there's something new, shiny, and that works great, uh, people have the tendency of just just bringing everything possible. Are there specific use cases that are better suited for, for, for having like a virtual assistant or slash robot?
2: I think that, I mean, people getting excited and bringing as many use cases as possible is absolutely great. You definitely want to start building a pipeline early. Um, I think it's important to kind of, as we talked about earlier, not just automate for the sake of automating things, but first dig deeper and see whether the process could be optimized before just creating a, a bot or a virtual assistant to do the process exactly as it's currently being manually done. And so that's something that we see a lot from our citizen automators. But in terms of the use cases that we do tend to see a lot of success from with the CAP program, A ton of lifting and shifting data out of one system, manipulating it in Excel, loading it into another, Um, any type of, you know, I'm sure everybody can think of a weekly report that they have to get data out of a platform, do some sort of manipulation on and re-upload it. We also see things around like automating uh, Outlook email reminders to, you know, fill out the latest paperwork that HR or our payroll department needs to have everything on record. Mm-hmm. So sending that out in batch to, you know, thousands of employees and making sure that each person's getting the right information for the state or the country that they're in.
1: Mm-hmm. We see. A I, lot of- think, I think that one of the things that Kate's done a really excellent job at doing is taking a lot of our partners cap or assistant development use cases that are like, explicitly meant for FP&A. So Mm -hmm. saying this is an accounting use case, but the use case is really just taking a bunch of data from a bunch of different reporting systems, smashing it all into Excel Mm -hmm. and emailing it out. So people often look at that as, oh, that's an accounting use case, that's a finance use case, Mm -hmm. but everyone's case point does that in some form or another. The content Mm -hmm. of the data may be finance-oriented in the partner's use case, but for us... That's a big conceptually similar task that happens in media buying and planning, happens in our creative service line. It happens in our customer experience service line. Everyone can relate to having to do a ton of manipulation in Excel and then emailing that report to their boss. Um, So, again, it's a big piece of how do you communicate that, yes, this case study from UiPath is about finance, planning and accounting, but look at it through the lens of your everyday job. I bet you do something similar. As soon as people are able to kind of put the lenses of what they do every day in front of that use case, they're able to say, oh, I have a ton of stuff that I think I can automate because I do similar things in my day to day.
0: I can also relate to that. You know, um, it's not in finance use case, but I can definitely relate where at least... I don't know, hundreds of times where I had to compile a lot of a list of customers and emails and some data of whatever they've been doing on the platform and, you know, compile it for uh, the CFO, the CEO, so that they can have like uh, an overview, like, you know, of what is happening, of what has been happening in the past uh, few uh, in the last quarter or something like that. So. And that leads me to um, uh, the Citizen Automation Program that I heard of. And I would like to, if, if you guys can share a little bit of what the program consists of.
1: i well, let Kate say that. Kate's our Citizen Automation Program owner and guru. She's she's the go-to person for everything Citizen Automation attends to.
2: Thanks, Brian. So we work in batch with cohorts of citizen developers. And once we collect or sponsors nominate or people self-submit their interests, we'll then go out and acquire licenses for a class of eight to 15 citizen developers to go through training together. And the training is comprised of two parts. It's about 10 days that they have to complete 12 hours of self-study through UiPath Academy, taking the citizen developer learning plan. And after they complete those 12 hours of self-study, they have a two-day hackathon where they work uh, in small groups directly with UiPath coaches that are dedicated to helping them create their first automation and get it up off the ground. Mm-hmm. The cohorts are really nice because they also build community People can see what other people are working on, even if you have people from the media side of the business, as well as the finance side of the business and the operations side of the business. They can see that conceptually similar work and inspire each other um, and really sets the the foundation for a strong citizen automation community. Mm -hmm. After the trainings, we continue to engage them both through our private citizen automation community as well as our larger automation connective that we have at Dentsu and we collect, um, information on everything that they're doing through UiPath's Automation Hub, which serves as a centralized marketplace for both ideas of things to automate in the future, and they can also upload the automations that they've created. So if people are working with similar programs or doing you know, similar tasks that need to be tweaked for different clients or different agencies, they don't have to recreate the wheel. They can see, okay, somebody's already created something like that. I'm going to request it and tweak it a little bit to suit my needs or sometimes it works great just right off the shelf um, and can be rolled out to multiple accounts or, or clients as is.
0: You, you mentioned a few times about a citizen developer. What kind of users can be a citizen developer? Because when you hear developer, it sounds highly technical people.
2: Yeah, they don't need any sort of prior technical or programming experience. We have seen people with no, no experience before really take up the Studio X software and run with it. But it definitely helps to have a process-oriented mindset as well and always be looking for, well, how can I optimize it um, and kind of have that problem-solving outlook? Uh, we've seen a lot of success there, but there's certainly no technical prerequisites to becoming a citizen developer.
1: Yeah, just to add on to that, I think that one of the the big things that we look for are people who know there's a better way to do things. Mm-hmm. So they might not have the resources immediately in front of them to, to make that thing happen. But the type of people who will be successful citizen developers are people who go look for that technology. So we see a lot of people across Densu who are downloading, you know, uh, community edition of UiPath, um, community edition of Automation Anywhere uh, trying to use Microsoft's Power Automate in ways that make their lives better and their mm-hmm. team's work-life balance better. Those are the type of people that we want to make sure we're inviting into our internal automation connective and community and giving them the proper tools uh, with the right governance for them to, to really have the impact that they're seeking.
0: So that means uh, anybody who has who recognizes there is a need or there is a possibility to do things better and uh, is comfortable in a software like Excel can be a good candidate. Absolutely. Great. So, um, can you share a use case of what a citizen automation program can do?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of our highest impact use cases has been timesheet tracking, which, again, I'm sure everybody can relate to being badgered to fill out their timesheets, but yes. it's very important because that's how we bill our clients and we all get paid at the end of the day. Um, so our finance teams have to check in on what is the status of timesheet completion several times a month. And that involves going into our timekeeping program, navigating through a bunch of filters to get the right data, waiting it for it to download, which can take, you know, upwards of an hour just to generate the report and get it out of the system. Then manipulating that Excel sheet that they're getting out of the timekeeping platform filtering it for their specific agency or client team, making sure it's in a readable, usable format, and then hounding people to fill out their timesheets if they haven't filled them out yet. So we actually had two different sets of citizen developers tackle the timesheet process. As you can tell, it's probably a pretty universal pain point. Um, Mm -hmm. We had one one team of citizen developers that worked on... Getting the data out of the timekeeping system, creating Mm -hmm. standardized reports for every agency in our media service line and every client team within our media service line. So instead of somebody at X pulling it and doing it one way and somebody at CARA pulling it and doing it a different way and having the same information, but just looking slightly different and it's hard to compare between the two. Now it's all standardized for every agency and account in the media service line. The finance team can just click play at the end of the day and know that it's going to be those reports are all going to be generated and ready for them the next morning in their shared drive. From there, we also had another citizen developer on the media side of the business who was in charge of being the timesheet police. What she built actually uses the report that the finance team has now automated and then emails people who are perhaps delinquent in inputting their hours to say, hey, notice you only have this many hours, like please update your timesheet. So she doesn't have to go around chasing people individually anymore. She just, when she gets that report from the finance team can run her automation, which is going to send out emails to the people on her team that need to go in and update their timesheets. So
0: that means um, whenever somebody creates an automation, uh, from what I've heard, from what I understand is that the automation that they will uh, produce will adapt to the way that they work. Is that right? So what I mean is if they have a specific way of doing things, that automation that they will create will actually mimic whatever that they are doing.
2: Yep, absolutely. The way that they would build the automation is telling it to do, again, the exact same clicks, writing the exact same formulas, typing into the filters, the exact same way the human would interact with the user interface on their machine.
0: I really like that because uh, to me, it's, it, it looks like... The automation that you build is really yours. You know, you can, uh, you make it yours. And it's quite interesting because if anything happens, you kind of have the knowledge and you can, uh, you can troubleshoot whenever, if anything uh, happens or anything breaks, if I'm, if I'm, am I assuming it correctly?
2: Definitely. Or for example, if one of the platforms you've created an automation for, moves a button from the left side of the screen to the right and your automation is like, where's this button that used to be on the left side of the screen? It's really quick to go in um, and update just that piece of it to to where the new button is on the right. Um, So it can be flexible for any kind of system updates as well. Um
0: I know you mentioned earlier on, if we cycle back a little bit, that it takes about 12 hours, uh, over 10 days uh, for a citizen developer to complete the training. But after how long do you see teams being comfortable using the automation tools?
2: Yep. So they have 10 days to complete around 12 hours of training. It's not a full Full 10 business days dedicated to taking that self-study um, but that's really where the hackathon comes in and those are the two days that they're working hands-on with their cohort of citizen developers with the support from dedicated coaches who are experts in the software um, to get their first automation up and off the ground so that should really help build them a lot of comfort uh, just coming out of their their full training with their first automation built um, You know, your mileage may vary depending on each unique individual, but being able to leave the training with a tangible automation that they've built helps build a lot of confidence.
0: Fantastic. Do you have any guidelines for businesses out there uh, on what to look for when setting up their own uh, citizen automation program?
2: Yeah, so they should definitely, definitely don't be afraid to get going. Um, Focus on progress over perfection. Start small with either a couple citizen developers or a couple use cases. That's what we did at Densu. We tested the Studio X software as well as looking into other providers like Power Automate to make sure um, the platform that we provided was going to be the right pick for us to test that it was going to be um, easy to adopt for our regular business users that don't necessarily have a, a technical background. Um, And from there, we rolled it out to a group of 32 initial trainees. Um, And once they really got going and and saw what they were able to do with the new software, they really got excited about it. They were constantly telling their peers. Um, So we kind of had an influx of interest. But to, to get prepared for that influx of interest, you also want to make sure that you have the right governance set up in place, which is one of the reasons that we selected the UiPath software. Because they make government, the governance really easy to manage at an enterprise level. So mm-hmm. now that we are ready to scale.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about scaling, um, you, you, say to start small, uh, are there any challenges when, uh, attempting to scale?
2: Yeah, so while we were starting out small with our initial cohorts, Brian actually did a lot of great work setting up an automation operating model that prepared us to be ready to, to intake more people in and be ready to scale. If you want to talk more about that, Brian.
1: Of course, sure. so those two things. When we talk about scale, um, so as someone who used to work on a lot of legacy on-prem applications and infrastructure uh, everything that we're working with is is cloud hosted um and we're keen to continue to move towards having automation as a service being something that uh UiPath and other providers deliver to us so that we don't have to worry about the technical infrastructure piece scaling beyond having you know some SCCM deployments of the agents to people's machines so I'm going to park technical scaling over here mm-hmm. uh, because that's just, it's just not a problem in 2021 as much as it was when I first started working. The second piece is uh, the operating model that Kate referred to. So organizationally, it's important to have a large picture of how your organization is set up and what the transformation journey end point looks like for that organization. So again, as an output from 2020 and COVID, I think a lot of folks either saw their digital transformation uh initiatives become accelerated or revitalized, and a lot of organizational changes happen as a byproduct of those types of initiatives. Mm-hmm. So what we really wanted to focus on was working with our senior leadership to understand what is the organization going to look like in six months, what's going to look like in a year, what's it gonna look like in two years, and forget after two years because <laughs> <laughs> the world's gonna be a different place. Exactly. Um, and so when we when we say you start small, it's not like we're saying we're starting with you know, a couple of people who raise their hands and say, oh, mm-hmm. pick me, pick me. Mm-hmm. We're being very thoughtful about it and making sure that the leadership who we're working with are having similar conversations to actually the one that we're having right now mm-hmm. around what are the personas of citizen developers? What does the software do? What are the right typical use cases for it? Um, so that those people can say, you know what, we're going to divide and conquer how we identify people in these cohorts. And we're going to focus on these departments first and having representation from these departments, because we know that they're going to look this way uh, in the next six months, where we know there is, you know, a lot of acquisition coming down the pipeline. And this team needs the tooling to automate uh, a large influx of manual tasks mm-hmm. that are going to come their way in a year. Um, so it's, it's making sure that you're being future thinking in a practical way, uh, Mm -hmm. that enables people to not necessarily react to the work that's in front of them, but to plan for the work that's coming their way in the future, Mm -hmm. um, as a part of a lot of the digital transformation initiatives that are happening. That's how we've been able to successfully uh have other groups raise their hands in the future saying mm-hmm. hey we're ready for this now or hey we saw the testimonials uh from the business process automation podcast mm-hmm. and we're really interested in and in listening and in, uh, in how we can experience mm-hmm. the same benefits we think that we're ready for it now mm-hmm. um does that make sense
0: it definitely makes sense it definitely makes sense and uh, that raises up on, on another question where has um in this planning because it, it it is, uh, it looks to be really, really thoughtful, uh, are there departments inside of a business that you, uh, you will prefer to go after so that maybe it will bring in, uh, more easily the other, the other members of other teams.
1: Yeah. So when we're, when we're talking about our planning for our cohorts or our classes of students, uh, mm-hmm. for citizen development, I think it's important to avoid things like going after or targeting like mm-hmm. aggressive language. We want to make sure that we're saying, Hey, we want to invite you to participate in this thing with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people who are eager and keen to participate and volunteer and involve themselves. Mm-hmm. Those are the departments that really deserve the attention mm-hmm. because we have, we have seen folks, uh, you know, senior leadership saying you need to go target this team. Mm-hmm. You need to go put all of your energy against this shared services group. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you're not inviting people to participate and learn from the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're coming in, you're saying, we're adding chores or more tasks on top of your daily job. Mm-hmm. And that creates unnecessary stress. So, again, it's the way we communicate it and involve people is by saying, hey, we're here to help. Yeah. Um, is this department interested or do they have the time or could we have the engagement with them mm-hmm. uh, to participate in this this program? And then specifically, when it comes to departments, it's about the timing of when you engage those departments. So, for example, we engaged uh, some finance teams during their uh, month end, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> at the end of a quarter, um, and that probably wasn't the best decision <laughs> because Actually, yeah, the because they're going through closing their books for that quarter yes. and doing financial forecasting yes. for twenty twenty one, and they're you know they they have uh, a lot of a lot of things going on at that time. So while they see the value of the tasks that could benefit from automation, they're actually in the process of performing those tasks mm-hmm. concurrent to mm-hmm. the training happening. So I think that, again, it's not necessarily around the domain or the function or the team that the work that these people are doing. It's about finding the right people with the right mindset mm-hmm. um, that are fairly represented throughout the mid and back office. Um, and having them participate in the trainings with you and having them be co-pilots of the program. Hmm.
0: I really like your approach because um, that way people, we actually adapt the solution in, instead of resisting it. Because uh, I have heard some, I will not say horror stories, but I've heard a lot of time where uh, people are resisting digital transformation because this is something new, they are really busy, and you're just adding them. Well, they see it as if you're adding them more work whenever... Uh, you target them, as you mentioned earlier, it's better to invite them. Um, we have reached... Yes, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say one quick thing to add in. Um, if someone says, no, I'm not interested in this right now, we just say, okay, cool. Let us know when you are. And then a couple weeks later, a couple months later, they say, hey, I was talking to Bill in the media buying team and he said he built a robot and I'm getting reports from his robot now. I I want my team to have that training now. People, it's contagious. People start to experience it within the enterprise. Mm -hmm. And by seeing other people go through that process, Mm -hmm. it makes it an easier transition to adopt.
0: Wow. That's great. Because as soon as they taste it, they don't want to let go of it. Yeah, exactly. So we have reached the end of the episode. Um, Thanks again for your time, Kate and Brian, uh, for sharing Dentsu's stories. If anyone out there has, has have questions, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Uh, I think LinkedIn is a great place. Um, we have a lot of content out there and we love participating in, in, uh, in publicity and, and thought leadership like this. Mm-hmm. So feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we'd love to continue the conversation there. Kate, any other last thoughts?
2: No, it was so great uh, talking to you today, Christian.
0: Thank you, me too. Uh, I just have to mention that uh, Kate on LinkedIn. Can you just mention to us your name on LinkedIn? Because I'm writing Kate on the podcast yep. title, but I think it's <laughs> Catherine. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's it's confusing. It's Catherine Hall on LinkedIn.
0: Okay, so that way they can reach out, and if they have questions, um, they can uh, they can hopefully get answers. Um, so thanks again for listening. If you have love, if you have liked uh, this episode, if uh, it has helped you. Please um, subscribe and uh, share the uh, episode. That's how we grow. It was nice having you. This was Christian, your host, signing out.